For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's three up top this evening and leading the line from the front and wearing the captain's armband once again is Cole. So Cole, how have things been for you in the past week? Not too bad, thanks, Dan. You know, the week didn't start off too well, but then it was slightly more positive by the end. So yeah, looking forward to getting into this one, mate. Fantastic. Also joining us is not James because he's on a scouting trip. So hopefully he brings some new players with him next week. But it means I've had the opportunity to change things around. This means that returning this week is Dexter, Dexter McQueen. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Hopefully, your internet holds out this time. Well, yeah, hopefully, yeah. I think I got a bit of a hamstring strain last time. I said to be uh, stubbed off, but uh, hopefully to stay the full 90 minutes this time around. Top man. And also making his debut is Mike Yule. Now, Mike's another chap who sits with me in the 515 block, and he's an all-round good egg. He's told me to say that. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are things with you? Yeah, we're all good, mate. Uh, licking my wounds after Burnley on the weekend. Um, putting some unwanted mileage on the car but apart from that it's all good Good man, right, thanks for joining us so before we get all the um, chat and the headlines and all the news from the past week out of the way, let's do the social media bits first and they are, of course you can follow us on the Come On You Spurs app where the podcast will be available each and every Tuesday morning Twitter of course is COYS underscore COM and we're on all the major audio platforms which is Apple, Spotify SoundCloud etc, you name it we're on there Right then, let's get down to business, and that business is more injury news. Carl, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse in terms of attacking injuries, it has got even more worse. The news now that Stephen Bergvine is going to be ruled out for the rest of the season. Now, the only theory I can think of is that we've been given a set of good luck tokens last year in the Champions League, and we used them all. We used so many of them, we're now in some sort of cosmic debt where we're having to pay it back, because it never rains, but it pours at the moment. Yeah, as you say, mate, if this was football manager, we'd be restarting, wouldn't we, and going back to an earlier save or something like that, you know, restarting the game right now, because this is just getting completely silly. Um, As you say, when you're limited anyway for numbers up top, the last thing we needed was one of our sort of like, you know, know, January signings who was at least starting to look promising. Um, And now we've lost this guy until the end of the season as well. So on top of the Kane and Son injuries, you know, players who are now tired in Mora and Ali and people like that, they've now got to put more mileage on them um, because the one sort of glimmer of hope and someone who's looked like he could become a real good signing for us is now out. And as you say, it just adds to the woes, doesn't it? And it does make you just sort of think the season is going to just slip away, I feel. um, And it's not going to be pretty viewing until the end right now. Now, usually we do the preview element right at the end of the show, but with RB Leipzig taking place on Tuesday night, which is tomorrow, and it seems to be the real final roll of the dice in terms of a, well, I don't think you could even call it success, really. Of course, if you won the Champions League, it would be success, but just trying to keep any sort of modicum of hope alive. Dexter, what can Jose Mourinho do with another piece of the attacking jigsaw now removed? Do we have any hope going into tomorrow's clash? Well, I was kind of hoping that um, the games were going to be called off for the coronavirus, to be fair. Um, I think that the players are tired. Um, they do need a, a break, but um, unfortunately, the game is going to go ahead. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it, it's going to be difficult. I mean, watching the first game, we was absolutely outplayed. Uh, now we've got, obviously, Bergwin now has gone out. It's, it's going to be even harder. Um, 
I mean, what else can he do? I mean, obviously, he's tried to. Uh, I think it's going to be another case. He's going to play defensive and try and and nick another goal and just try and do it that because there's another way I can kind of see it working really because if you play too open against them, we are going to get absolutely smashed. Mike, at the same time, could this be the ultimate galvanisation? You know, we've got absolutely no sort of, I guess, recourse in the way of attackers. Can Mourinho point to this, backs against the walls, go out and do your job, or is this set to be dust pumping in Leipzig on Tuesday? Well, I'm trying to remain uh, positive, and it, it's getting to that time of year where Lucas Moura springs into life, isn't it? Um, so it, it seems to me like Lucas Moura is going to be putting on uh, his, 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 his shirt thinking it's going to be sort of his responsibility. I think it's a good shout, but you just never know more, do you? I mean, he looked positive in the last 45 against Burnley when he came on. So there is that kind of... There's always a sense of something there. You know, there is capability for him to do something great, but it's never just enough, is it? And you just wonder if it's going to be Tuesday. Can he carry that burden on his own? As Cole said, he's also a player that looks knackered just from doing so many miles at the moment. So it's not outside the realms of possibility, but it is going to be a big arse. So we'll see how that pans out. And now it's time to look back to the seven days we've just had. And it's been, let's shall we say, another interesting week. Certainly not dull. And I don't know where to start, to be honest, because there's been so much. But let's start with the report. It's not really news, but the report from Matt Law at the, um, I guess, the, well, the dawning of another transfer rumour. And it's Harry Kane's piece that there's been no direct quotes, Carl. But when it's sort of suggested that there's been talks behind the scenes and all this, it's not really the one kind of noise you want to hear at this moment in time from a Tottenham point of view, is it? No, I think, you know, this is the one story that we all kind of fear coming at some point, isn't it? But, you know, as much as we fear it, I think everyone who's a kind of a realist at some point is sitting there and you're knowing in the back of the mind how long before some real serious interest comes on this front. Because I think it's a bit like everything. When you're the kind of player that Harry is and you've got to be considered one of the best strikers in the world, at some point, I think we've seen over the years, haven't we, with the strikers we've had in the past, you know, Klinsman, Sheringham's, players like that, you know, Bowles. They'll only give you so long before actually there then becomes this pull to like, listen, I actually do want to win something. And at the moment as a club, you're not showing me you're going to take that next step and actually achieve that. So I'm not, I don't particularly want to waste my best years here if it's all going to be for nothing in the end. And we know that Harry is a highly ambitious guy and he's got, you know, he's got things in his targets. You know, he's got Shearer's record in mind. He's got, he wants to win things in his mind. And you can see that at a certain point, if he maybe doesn't feel the club is going to achieve the sort of heights that he probably wants to get to, as much as he's loyal, um, there always comes that point where you just think, well, how long do I actually give the loyalty to a club that's not looking like it's going to match my ambitions? And I think, you know, if we lose the Champions League, we know that's going to be massive. Um, and it could be that that is the time where a few big clubs around Europe and even in England think this might be the time to try and strike now and see if we can tempt him away. While we had Champions League, you always felt that was enough of a pull maybe to keep him. And while we're challenging and being, you know, in and around the top, 
without that and possibly looking like a team that's on the slide, I see some of those big clubs in Europe thinking this might be the time to strike um, and see if we can put a bid in and tempt this guy away. Um, and we just need to hope that he possibly thinks he's going to give Mourinho a summer and a start of next season to see if he can actually come in and achieve something. But you know, it's worrying signs and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some serious, you know, talk and, and chat going on once that summer window opens. Because Dexter, if you're weighing up the validity of that report from Matt Law, to be honest, it's all conjecture at the moment. Like I say, there's no direct quote, so there's no real panic just yet. However, would a fair assessment be that Kane as a player is within his rights to have a conversation with Levy and Mourinho due to the situation that the club find themselves in, but at the same time, he wouldn't necessarily be pushing for a move this summer either? No, I don't think he. Obviously, he's a world, world, a top striker, and he's got his own aspirations and he wants to win things. I totally understand that. Um, I don't think he's necessarily to that stage where he wants to leave the club. I think next season is going to be important. I think if we, if Mourinho does win something with us next season, I think he will stay. Um, but a lot, I think a lot does does depend on that. Um, going after that, we have to wait and see because, like Carl said, he is loyal and he, and he, you know, he obviously loves the club. Um, but again, it's a situation where I thought we we kind of moved on from as a club, seeing our best players moving on to other clubs, bigger clubs to win things. I thought, you know, I thought Pochettino changed that mentality in the club, but unfortunately, it's something that we're kind of at the moment sliding back that way, and um, that's. But that's where Arena comes in, has to do as much as he possibly can to start winning some silverware at the club. Because otherwise, you know, it's not just Kane, Delhi would leave, other players will leave. You know, we lose the pool, other um, top players around Europe uh, that want to come to our club. And at the, it's very tricky at the moment. It, a lot depends on, on next season, I think. And depending on that, we can see where we go from there. Well, Dexter, if you take the point about, you know, hoping that we're past all of that image of a selling club. I think you have to take into account that football has a natural hierarchy, a pecking order, if you will. You know, we're not at the top of that pecking order. Had we got Champions League success in June, we'd have moved higher up and necessarily not, you know, wouldn't have to be warding off threats from bigger clubs. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. And I don't think we're regressing as such, but we're still not necessarily in a position to be sort of telling people to go away the likes of Real Madrid, which might bring me on to my next question. If we look at the feasibility of a Harry Kane departure, obviously it's nothing that we want, but... Does it boil down to the fact at the moment that no one's ever really tested the market, as it were? We always hear about these hands-off prices, 150, 200 million. They're sort of meant to ward away people, but no one's ever really gone in. And like Cole says, now with the club in a relative state of flux and this sort of doom and gloom cycle, which is currently above us, do you think this would be the summer that someone will at least test the water with some form of bid? It's always possible that someone coming up with Real Madrid or Barcelona will come in and test the water. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, I, I still don't think we will actually go just yet. Like I said, I think it depends on sort of next season to see what happens. But, um, yeah, I think at the moment, the way things have gone, um, the way the club is at the moment, it's, it's not in a great state. Um, all the positive positive we had is, is ebbed away through obviously the way season's gone the injuries um, you know it, so I think someone will definitely come in this summer and test the water um, I think negotiating with leave is always you know, it's always a bit of a sticking point with most clubs um, but if, every player has their price at the end of the day and if somebody offered enough money I think leave will take it 
um, regardless of who it is, with Harry Kane or whoever. I think he, you know, as long as he gets the money that he wants for a player, he's quite happy to let him go. I think, and I, I wouldn't put it past Liverpool to, to accept a bid if, if that did happen. Mike, I think the last few weeks seem to be almost like a worrying glimpse of the future. You look at no Kane, no Son. Obviously, we've been dealt a her- terrible hand in terms of injuries. But because of that, do you think this is a scenario where the club will now look at this and think we could never be caught short in terms of attack again? Like, this is the absolute worst it can be. Now we have to always make sure there are reinforcements or we're going to continue to have more of the same in terms of being caught short in terms of attacking options. Well, you'd have thought they would... Um... They would use this as a lesson well learnt from January, um, not 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 replacing uh, injured players and not getting a striker in the January transfer market, relying on the likes of Son, Ali, Mora uh, playing out of position. Now, two of those three are injured, um, and Son in South Korea, what's seen or is in quarantine from the coronavirus, um, with them two sort of indefinitely out. It's got to be a learning curve, and if we don't learn, then we've got no one else to blame but ourselves, I guess. Yeah, that's right. I mean, was it Einstein says that the definition of madness is making the same mistakes over and over again? You know, not sort of you get the idea, but hopefully we're not going to be that mad. What could be mad though, Cole, is in terms of Harry Kane. Let's say hypothetically Real Madrid do test the water because they've always been that team that's been the most surfaced links with. Harry Kane, you know, Barcelona, you don't really see it as an actual fit. Real Madrid, a little bit more. So let's say they come in with a bid this summer, but it doesn't come to any fruition. You know, there's no actual transfer. Does that plant the seed, a dangerous seed, in the same way that, say, Cristiano Ronaldo moved from Man United to Real Madrid? Because in the end, they always get their man, don't they, Real Madrid? So it might not be this summer, but 12 months further down the line, we might have some worries. Yeah, I think as well, I say, I think it all depends on what the club show in, in the summer and in terms of how they start possibly next season. Mm-hmm. You know, Harry, I think, probably will feel that he, you know, will give the club one more season and, like I say, give Mourinho a full chance to see if he can, you know, bring back that success that everyone thinks he's going to get. But you kind of think there will be this knowledge that there is interest there. And if we start off slow and again, we have a summer where we don't really bring in the players that we feel and maybe Harry might feel will push this club on um, and we have a slow start and the football's a bit negative and that again, then I seriously do think there will be that element of like, maybe I've run my course, you know, maybe it is time that I move on. Um, So I think it's all in our own hands. I think if we have a good summer and we get off to a good start and Mourinho can kind of turn things around and get us playing some good football, then we could be all right. Because I think all the time where we're looking like we can challenge and there is the possibility of winning stuff and we're going to be a Champions League club, I think Harry probably stays. But, you know, there will be that niggle if he doesn't think we're going in the right direction. Mike, the last question on Harry Kane, and it's some relatively good news because he was spotted in training today as the rest of the squad have gone to Germany. Do you think he'll feature before the end of the season or if this, I guess, shipwreck that we're now a part of, does the conversation then become between Mourinho and Southgate where Southgate says, do you know what, why don't you just leave him until the end of the season for England? Because if we're slipping down the table, there's not necessarily that urgency to then bring him back in, is there? There's a little bit of me that wishes that Kane had that Alan Shearer, Paul Scholesy sort of arrogance about him where club football and prolonging their club career um, took priority over international football. But I, don't, I obviously don't think that's the case with Kane. I can see him being fit for the North London derby um, and just going on from there, getting fit, going to the Euros and hopefully doing really well with England 
and then coming back knackered and then having to go through this whole rigmarole again. And I can see us being sat in this same sort of injury predicament with him this time next year. Yeah, it is something of a worrying cycle, but when you've got a player who's ready to uh, try and take on England's record goal-scoring duties and be that man, it's very hard to have a conversation of, you, you know, you sit this one out, Harry, or you go on the bench and all that. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Right, we're not going to talk about the football just yet because there's some more off-pitch activity to, uh, to focus on, and it's to do with the meeting between the board and the THST. Now, some rather interesting comments, so we'll run through the best of them. Cole, here's the first one. A comment from Daniel Levy, and he says... That spending money is not a direct correlation to success. Now that may be the case, but surely not spending has a direct correlation to failure. Yeah, that's a real interesting quote, isn't it? Because I think obviously we've spoke about it before, isn't we? You know, and we, you know, when people say they want to see signings, I think you know a lot of people jump on this. Well, we can't spend under three hundred million or something like that. And in a way, what he's saying is right. You know, you don't necessarily have to go and spend massive amounts to probably bring in good quality players. Um, but the trouble is, we don't seem to be bringing in the sort of players, even at low money, that kind of have a you know real positive impact in the squad and the way the season goes. You know, it's a lot of buying these potential. And, you know, we can look at some of the signings this year, can't we, Sessignon? Now, we spent a lot of money there on Sessignon, and we haven't seen the guy. And I think that's where you kind of say, yes, we know you, we're not always saying we need you to go and spend 150 million on a player, but at least bring in the right quality sort of player when you do buy someone, even if it's a cheaper purchase. You know, no one's against bringing in cheaper players, but just make sure they're the right players who can add something. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you want to be the best, in football, it does cost you money sometimes, and you may have to pay the going rate in terms of wages. You may have to pay, you know, over the odds that you want to sometimes to get a player. You know, we can look at the past, can't we? Mane and people like that, where we just, you know, we didn't want to pay their wages. And actually, if you look back at that and think what you thought you might have been saving at that time, has it really worked out for you or would you have been better off just paying that little bit more than you wanted to um, and actually got someone with that sort of quality in? Um, so, yeah, strange comments. But again, you're talking about a guy who obviously doesn't really have his mind focused on, you know, necessarily blowing it all to go and bring a title or something like that to the club. Well, Dexter, it seems that if we don't qualify for the Champions League, that's going to have an impact on the funds in the summer. That's not the most surprising element, really. It's sort of to be expected. However, when you think that Lady Gaga and Anthony Joshua are coming to town soon, surely we should be reaping some benefit from that also. Yeah, it's it's not great news, really, when you're trying to sort of look to to the uh, next season and hope we're going to get some some players in. They come up with that. Um and again, it's the whole thing of the whole uh, stadium um, being built was us to compete in the transfer market. Um, and uh, again, it seems like um, that's not really been the case. I'm, in, I know I understand that it's a journey and um, it takes time to um, build a natural growth with profit through the ground and the uh, income through obviously the concerts, the rugby and that kind of thing. It just it feels like if, if they had built a stadium within the first 10 years of their tender, then obviously we'll be seeing the benefits now. But 20 years in, and um, it's it's hard to ask the fans to keep waiting and waiting and waiting to finally see some um, actual progression on the pitch by the transfers. Um, I know that they, they, I think you made a comment about that, about the, the fans. 
Um, but um, yeah, it's difficult because how long did how long do we keep having to, having to wait and wait and wait to actually see us actually start you know buying the players that we need? And that is the million dollar question. However, though, it's going to take more than a million dollars to get rid of Enoch, and they, Mike, have said that they're not going anytime soon. So, how does that sit with you in terms of that news? I, I don't quite. I don't necessarily agree with the whole Enoch out um, movement. I mean, yeah, they can. They could definitely be doing better. Um, but the arguments that are spending, I mean, we've done what two hundred million in the last sort of twelve months. Whether or not that's whether or not that's on the correct players is a, that's a different that's a different conversation. But the funds have been there to, certainly since we moved into the new stadium, um, and the grass isn't always greener. I mean, there's no look at look at Manchester United when they got bought out by the Glazers. The Glazers are taking the club's debt to astronomical heights. You know, Tottenham. We've done phenomenally well with Enoch, I think, financially. And, yeah, that hasn't translated directly into success on the pitch, but with the foundations there for the stadium and, like you say, with uh, Anthony Joshua and Guns N' Roses and Lady Gaga coming to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I think it can only lead to positive things. And I can't... I mean, we'd be seen as a sitting duck in the transfer market if, in these comments that are released... Daniel Levy sits there and goes, yeah, we'll have 400 million to spend in the summer. Don't worry, boys, just go out and smash it. I think it would be completely irresponsible of him to do that. Um, so he's kept, he's kept it rather conservative. Was it last year or the year before that Arsenal said they've only got a, a 35 or 40 million pound war chest? Um, you know, they kept their car, they kept their cards relatively close to their chest. If we walked into negotiations with uh, Dortmund, let's say, for Jaden Sancho, we're not going to get him. That, let's just say argument's sake. And we said, yeah, we want Jaden Sancho. And Daniel Levy was in the press saying we've got 400 million to spend. They're going to pull our pants down. So I think it's a case of us being conservative and not not letting go of too many figures, especially now as we have to publicly we have to publish our profit and loss. So I think the fact that everyone knows we're such a well-run club, I think for us to be uh, saying how much money we're going to spend and Champions League does or doesn't affect, I think that would be uh, that would be petulant from Levy. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Cole. Sorry, Mike. And Cole, because that is the sort of the tactic you don't want to go down. If you sort of say, you know, we've got X amount of million, then the other clubs will be like, all right, cha-ching, and that value of a player exceeds with an extra 5, 10. So you're only making a rob for your own back, really. So is this sort of silence not the worst thing in the world, but also you then have to stop making noises come the summer? Yeah, definitely. Uh, say if you go out and say we're going to have this massive rebuild, and suddenly you know we're going to have this you know load of money now that's coming from the stadium, uh, and we're going to go for it, then anyone who you go for the the other club, you know the other club you're negotiating with, are going to go well. Hold on a minute. This club have clearly got money. They've got big ambitions. So that's rinse every penny we can. Um, so yeah, I think it's a smart move to kind of you know, just keep it. You know in-house as such as to what's going to happen. You let it be known where there's no Champions League, you know, that'll affect funds. And then, as you say, you can go into negotiations where teams may feel they don't have you over a barrel. Um, And that's where I think Daniel Levy is a smart businessman, isn't he? That side of it, I've no qualms with how he runs the club because you know that guy is going and getting the best deal possible um, for Tottenham Hotspur. And and that's something you can't knock him for. Um, Unfortunately, you know, there's the other side of it where you're kind of changing deals last minute or such which then kind of makes the rod for our backs and turns people away from doing business with us but you've got to keep it in-house you say there's no point going and telling everyone you've got all this money um because then you just get you know say you get pulled over the barrel and get your pants pulled down didn't you 
Absolutely. Right, let's not wait any longer because it's time to dissect those two horror shows from the past week. And Cole, it starts with us being dumped out of the FA Cup. And although hindsight is a wonderful thing, we all know that on this show, you do have to question the logic to stop Michel warming goal. How many cup contests has he now cost us? Uh, I, I can, I, I, you know, when you actually saw his name on the team sheet, I think everyone was a bit like, sorry, it, is that, that does say Vaughan there, doesn't it, that he's playing? Um, and I had to laugh because the actual Spurs website showed a clip before the game of him warming up saying, you know, oh, look, you know, Vaughan was back in goal. And he fumbled a shot in that clip that they showed. Oh, I saw and that. It set everything up for the game, didn't it? And you kind of thought, oh, that wasn't the most inspiring clip you've given us there. And it turned out to be that, you know, that would come back to bite us massively during the game, wasn't it? You know, I think he had three shots to save in the whole game and he, he managed to fumble two of them. So I don't think we're seeing back in a Spurs shirt again this season. Um, and to be honest, I'll say I'll be quite glad of that, thankfully. Well, you'd think you'd be shipped out in the summer after that because I can't see any recourse from from that really that was such a just bread and butter error that he made you just think oh god like because next you, you asked you had to question why though as well Dan well, yes. no one picked him up when he when he left us absolutely I mean, and you're sitting there thinking well if he was such a good goalkeeper then how comes no one even picked him up when you know he left us and he was still sitting there for us to pick him straight back up again well this is it because if he was a what you consider a steady hand you'd have someone sort of getting him installed as a player coach or something you think actually yeah experienced goalkeeper loads of Premier League matches with what Swansea and Spurs get him in but like you say he's probably sitting by the phone waiting for Spurs to bring him back gets the call of a lifetime and he's playing against Norwich but anyway Dexter it was a good start though because we were in front after what 13-14 minutes Jan Vertonghen doesn't like playing left back but he would have had a few complaints after a well taken goal now you would have thought at that point a goal sets the tone gets the fans on side early but it was never the case was it no it, uh, it we, we don't seem to um, take control of games uh, like we used to. I mean, before we would go or go up, and then we'd be looking to get another one, and then another one to obviously um, put the game to bed. I mean, at the moment, it's it's a low. All the all the players seem to be kind of not knowing what they're doing. Um, Passing's going astray. Confidence looks low. Uh, even when we go or go up, sometimes we we don't look like we're fully in control. We look like we've kind of fluked the goal. Um, and it, yeah, they just don't look like they don't look comfortable. Nobody want nobody want nobody really wants the ball. Um, yeah, it just—I don't know what to do with the team at the moment. It's just—it's just they even when they're winning, it—you can't trust them to like not concede a silly goal or make a mistake. Or there's a you know like um, Hugo in the other game the other day with the, the shot came off him and they only got the goal. It's there's always something that always goes wrong. Um, and it's it, at the moment we're not getting any any of the rubber the green. And if it just seems to be going against us, it's injuries, it's VAR, um, you know. Go, uh, misplaced pass. It's it's all very kind of. Um, it looks very sort of downbeat and lot, uh, not a lot of confidence in that team at the moment, which I can understand with the injuries and it's all kind of patchwork with the team that um, Mourinho's putting together. But yeah, the Michael Vaughan one was even for me. I thought, what what is he doing in, in that team? Should be nowhere near that team now. Mike, first half we're one 0 up, and I think it had Lucas and Ali combined better. You know that link up play. We could have had the game out of touch at that, that point, been in the sixth round of the FA Cup. Unfortunately, that wasn't to be, was it? And that probably was the most glaring error of the first 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean, Lucas Moore had his head buried in, in his dinner. He, uh, if he had looked up or if he, Ali would have given him a shout, we're going in 2-0 and it's, it's a totally different game. And 
again, fast forward into the penalties. The penalties were awful. Um, and there's absolutely no excuse for professional footballers doing a starter step and then side footing it into the goalkeeper. But what is the point if the geezer stood next to the next to the goalpost, the, the the linesman? What is what is his job if it's not to check if the goalkeeper's on the line? Well, yes, it was quite redundant. That was going to be one of my questions for Dexter. So I'll ask you. I mean, really, is that? I guess sour grapes is nothing else because if your goalkeeper was doing that and became the hero, you wouldn't complain. But obviously, we fell. Short of that, Tim Crawl was a number of saves, but you know there was nearly on the six-yard box, let alone the goal line. So, I mean, what else can you do, bar just hold your hands up and say, "Well, tough one to swallow." Yeah, it was just—it's just frustrating, isn't it? And Tim, Tim Crawl, great goalkeeper, obviously, clearly by the by the state of his water bottle, had done his homework or had somebody on the sidelines doing his homework during extra time. Um, and like you say, if, if it happens for your club, he's a hero and it's a brilliant tactic as part of the game. And if it happens against your club with the officiating and stuff like that, typical Spurs, we're um, we're always hard done by. Cole, I mean, we sort of referenced about never really taking the game by the scruff of the neck. And then at that point, you felt that Norwich were growing in confidence. Before the goal, I'm thinking Buendia and Rupp had the most memorable chances for them. Now, at that point, you're thinking this could get a little bit ugly. So fundamentally, why couldn't we get the better of a team which is bottom of the Premier League? I think there's just a real lack of confidence all round, isn't it? Uh, and when I go, suppose, you know, you can clearly see they are being asked to play a more defensive style of football where it's, you know, don't go rushing in, don't go pressing too high, stay in your position, stay structured. Um, and, you know, we saw at certain points, didn't we, that when they kind of, you know, the last 10 minutes or so, when they were let off the leash, it, it kind of looks like when we're let off the leash a little bit, then you suddenly start to see this more attacking, more aggressive football. Um, but then it kind of gets reined in again and it almost you can see it's almost a bit like, well, well done. We're maybe opening ourselves up a bit here too much. But I just think, you know, there's a lack of confidence going through everybody. When you're conceding sloppy goals all over the place, it doesn't help because the minute the keeper does that as a back four, you all just go, oh, hold on. We can't afford to let them get near this guy because we could be in trouble here. And, And I think that just, you know, it goes through the whole side, doesn't it? And everyone's on edge. And I don't think, you know, you can't play your best football as a team or as an individual when people are on edge. You know, you're, you're nervous about making a mistake. And you can just kind of see that's the sort of team we are at the moment. There's only a couple of players who don't seem to have that kind of weight round their necks. And that's the likes of Lacelso. You know, you can see when he's on the pitch, he has no fear. You know, he's going for it. He's going to do what he wants to do. Whereas I think you can just see that there are other players who kind of think, oh, I don't want to get too, I don't want to go push too far up. I don't want to try something, you know, outrageous or too difficult because, you know, we, we've got a system we're playing to here and I don't want to ruin that. Um, and and it's, it's, it is causing us problems. Um, and we saw it again at the weekend with Burnley, you know, and, and it took the changes to kind of, you know, improve things. And you just got to start asking, maybe we need to start these games this way and kind of, you know, revert to a more defensive system if you're winning a game. But you've got to get there first and you've got to get these games won before you look to just shut up shop. Now, Dexter, one relative positive of that was the performance of Oliver Skip. Another addition to the midfield combinations that we've seen as of late. How much of a future do you think he has with us? Can he go all the way or and or perhaps will he need a loan move in the summer to get valuable minutes to come back even stronger? Um, I think he needs to go out on loan. I think he needs to get a bit more experience. I think in the summer, we should be looking for a defensive midfielder. 
uh, to come in. Um, we definitely need to sort out that back line. Uh, that is priority. Uh, well, not we get another striker in. I'll well, have to wait and see on that one. But definitely the back four needs to be sorted out as well as the defensive infield position. He has um, made a good case for himself. Obviously, Marino does rate him very highly. Uh, the way he spoke about him after Norwich, um, he said he was ph- uh, phenomenal. Um, so he's, I think he does have a future there under under Mourinho. I think Mourinho likes him. Um, I think there's certain players that Mourinho has taken a liking to, like Lacelso, um, Dyer. He's always liked Dyer. Um, Lamella, he likes Lamella because of the way he always is willing to help the team. And I think Skip's another one. I think Skip will be there. Uh, but I think he, he does need more minutes, though. He does need to get a bit, bit more experience, get more kind of um, game time. So I think we should put him out on loan. And we should um, bring someone in um, uh, for the time being. But, yeah, he, he's definitely got a future. I can definitely see him being at uh, for a long time. And, Mike, a young star that people were clamouring for last week was Troy Parrott. He got that appearance, come on as a extra-time sub. However, that club would have been met with frustration come full time. So that's not to say he was to blame for our defeat, far from it. But you would have to say he lost the battle of the mind games with Tim Krull. Yeah, I mean, Troy Parrott came on and got his minutes, whether that was um, pressured by the fans or not. But he seemed to have his um, Adidas trampolines on. The first two or three touches I see him have went out for a throw-in or went straight from from his foot to the the centre-half. And he had a difficult, difficult run-out. Um, as for his penalty, I'm, uh, again, Harry Kane missed his first penalty for Tottenham. So if that's anything to go by, we're going to have a, a future world beater on our hands. But I, I do, I do sort of um, see Mourinho sort of smirking and, and sort of behind closed doors having a bit of a uh, I told you so yeah. effect because he's uh, he spent the last couple of weeks telling us and telling the media, uh, Troy's the young lad, he's got potential, but he's not ready. And constantly hearing that phrase, he's not ready, he's not ready. And then all of a sudden he gets minutes and he isn't ready. So I, I, I think, again, it's classic Mourinho. You don't you don't sort of win the trophies that he's won by mistake. I think there's a lot of mentality that goes into it. And maybe this is um, a coming of age experience for Parrot. And sort of this Mourinho, um, he's not ready kind of rhetoric will, will, will be the making of him and They'll be able to build a relationship where he's in two or three years' time, where Parrot can sort of say thank you very much. You sort of, sort of helped me through my younger years. But yeah, I don't know. It seems like there's going to be one way to go with, uh, with with Troy. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is going to be a test of character to be like Brendan Rodgers. But you'd like to think he'll learn from it, become better in the long run. It's just a, a tough one to to take a bitter pill to swallow. And Cole, ultimately, the exit was a bitter pill to swallow, especially you know on this podcast alone. When Mourinho was appointed, we were looking at the FA Cup as a real, genuine concern, something that we could really go and win. Now, I know the injuries have unfolded and really gone against us, but it's a tough one to take, isn't it? Yeah, and especially, you know, saying the manner that it was in the team, it's again, you know, no disrespect to Norwich, but we would have liked to have felt, you know, if we were losing to City in the semi-final, I think we'd all go, well, you know, listen, this man City, you know, it's a semi-final, we don't like those at the best of times. Um, But then you could kind of feel, okay, against a team like City, fair enough. But at home, against Norwich, who, you know, look like they're possibly going to be one of the teams that go down, you would have felt we should have been getting through that tie no matter what, you know. And then you're looking, thinking, then you get a home tie in the next round. And it is there. You're thinking, well, come on, you know, this is a perfect opportunity. You know, it's all falling our way. Uh, We've got good draws here. So to go out and, and... 
if we're all being realistic, I think once that once that last penalty was saved, you're kind of thinking, well, that's the season because you can't see us winning the Champions League, even if we pull off a you know a miracle again and get through against Leipzig. The way this squad is at the moment and the way we're defending, you'd kind of think if you was to come up against a PSG or someone like that, you know, Barcelona, it would be curtains for us because we wouldn't keep them out the way, you know, we'd need to. So that was the real one that you're sitting there thinking we could actually win this trophy. Um, so to go out in such a in such a bad way and with such a limp performance was really disappointing. And I think it just sets the tone that now you're kind of not looking forward to the rest of the season, to be honest. Well, Dexter, we cannot, of course, forget about Eric Dyer and his bizarre climb into the stands. So what did you make of those scenes? For me... I'd have to say he's gone up in my estimation. I think there's nothing wrong with a display of passion. Yes, it was a bit strange. I don't want to sort of see that too often. But in the circumstances, not the worst thing in the world either. So what do you make of all of that? Um, well, I'd like to think what the uh, was going for that guy I said is picking on Dyer's brother. I mean, yeah. <laughs> seriously, when, when Dyer started coming up towards him, he must have literally just died and just uh, really regretted that decision. Um, it's been the most animated I've seen Dyer move in quite some time, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's family. What can you say? I mean, once, um, you know, your little bro is being picked on, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't just um, leave him on his own. So obviously, all right, the FA are going to probably give him a ban or something, which isn't going to help us out. But in the spirit, in the heat of the moment, um, when it comes to family, I mean, you can't, you can't begrudge him what he did. I mean, we all, we all would do it. Um, it's rash, it's a bit reckless, but you know, what can you do? Is it's, you know, you know, it's your blood. You're not going to like, you know, leave your little brother all alone by himself with with some somebody giving grief. So I don't condone it, but we 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 we'd all do it. Let's face it. So yeah, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, can't be say one that. Mike, do you think Eric Dyer will get anything from the FA in terms of a punishment? I remember Jamie Carragher throwing a coin back into the ground once, and I think he copped something for that, didn't he? So obviously not a direct comparison, but can you see him getting off or getting a charge for this one? Um. Yeah, I can I can see him getting off it because um, there's there's not actually any evidence of him doing much. It's just a bit of handbags. But it, again, the FA will probably look at it as an excuse to um, to sort of throw their weight around. And who can blame them really? Like in 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 the heat of the moment, yeah, you like you like to see professional athletes acting like human beings. as part of the reason we, we we love the sport so much because at the end of the day. It's 11 blokes versus 11 blokes. But um, when you're sort of almost bringing the game into disrepute like that and causing that sort of shenanigans, do you think, you think the FA will, will, will sort of reprimand him somehow? Hopefully, it doesn't, um, it doesn't have too much of a detrimental impact on Eric Dyer. I think he's been really good uh, when he, since he's moved to centre-half. I think he's done really well in that role. Um, and with our injury plague at the moment, having suspensions and things like that, on it will just uh, just add to our add to our crisis, I assume. Carl, we talk about I don't know fans being fair game and players being fair game. At what point does this sort of cross the line? Because obviously you don't want to see players hurtling into the stands because that doesn't really set a good tone. It's not a good image as a role model and all that kind of thing. But obviously I'm not condoning fans getting beaten up either or fans then sort of shouting obscenities. So you know, at what point does it get too much? Yeah, I, I think it's already probably gone gone that yeah, gone to right. those levels, isn't it? I think you know your Raheem Sterling incidences, and you know the sort of Man City fans against Fred and things like that. Uh, 
at the city ground. I, I think it's on those levels already. Um, people just seem to think, don't they, sometimes you can walk into a football ground and that gives you the right to kind of abuse anyone who's on that pitch in, in any way, shape or form. Um, I think we can all accept that players are there and, you know, have to, you know, have a big enough chin to take a certain amount of abuse. Um, you know, and as long as it's, you know, either done in a, you know, you can say some people say there's no good way of doing it. But if there's a bit of banter going on between the crowd and some players, you don't mind it. But the minute it oversteps that line to either racist abuse or, you know, suddenly you're on someone's back so much that you're going, hold on a minute, calm down, mate. You know, yes, you might not be having a great game, but the way you're going about this now is completely wrong. Um I don't think it'll ever stop, to be honest, Dan. I think you'll always get that sort of mindless moron who, who possibly goes and ruin it, ruins it for all the good people there are at the ground. Um, and we, yeah, as you say, you just have to hope that, you know, these stewards and that can get hold of it, these people before it becomes too much. As you say, you can't have players jumping in the crowd every five minutes again and give someone. But I'm all for, you know, if, if you want to be brave enough to give it, then you've got to be brave enough to take it if suddenly it, it comes back at you. So there's no good then running away and suddenly crying because a player's fronted you up. Um, if you don't want to be fronted up, then, you know, don't don't give it in the first place. But I, I don't think we'll ever get a grip on this fully, to be honest. I think we'll always see these instances over the years. Um, we just have to hope they don't go to even more extreme levels than what they are now. You mentioned, Stuart, that's actually another good point in the THST meeting. And Dexter, they want to try and take more of the stewards in-house. So obviously, I think at the moment, there's all agency staff. And perhaps if you're getting a low wage or whatever it is, you're not really going to be committed to the cause. So bringing this in-house and getting people to you know, accept the values, learn more about the culture of the club and understand what it takes to be a fan and what they're going through, would that be ultimately better for the fan experience going forward? I think it would be if you have sort of uh, kind of like professional stewards, as it were. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day on Twitter that um, I think stewards need to be given a bit more power, um, especially when it comes to racist abuse. Um, I think they should be allowed to make their own decisions in that regard if they see someone being racially, um, racially abusive or in obviously in Dyer's case, if somebody's um, being really mouthy to somebody else, I think they, they should have the power to um, take that person out of the of the, of the ground and escort them off off the uh, off the off, off the premises. Um, I think they need to do something now because, like you say, it's it's an epidemic in football with racism and other things where people feel they can just have a go because they they feel the right that they've paid their money, so therefore they can just say what they want to the fan. Uh, sorry, to the uh, to the players. But, um, yeah, if they start doing something more like this, be a bit more um, hard line with it um, and giving stewards more power to obviously remove people, um, I think it, it'd be a step in the right direction, let's put it that way. I can't see it hurting anything. So, I think, yeah, I think it's a, a definitely good idea. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that sentiment, Dexter. Right, let's go to... Oh, Saturday. sorry, Dan, Dan, can I chime in? Just just as, as yeah. somebody who works yeah. in the security industry, um, so as somebody who works in the security industry, I can't see it moving in-house successfully without increasing the wages. Okay. There's like these, the, the stewards that you see sat facing the game, if they're on the front row or the guys that are at the top of the stairs pretending to check your tickets and making sure you're getting to your row, right? They they can't be on anything more than sort of seven to eight pound an hour. So you, you've then got to look at the infrastructure and the costs of having all of these guys specifically trained in-house. They're then they're going to have to sort of cut their hours elsewhere to be professional Tottenham Hotspur football stewards and make themselves available for every single home game 
it's not gonna it's not gonna happen if you're the security guard who works at Sainsbury's next to the stadium. You can't tell your your shift manager at Sainsbury's I can't work every other Saturday and I can't work Champions League games and I can't do this and I can't do that. So there, there needs to be serious sort of influx of money for that to happen, which is why there's so many agency staff floating around. And nine times out of ten, the staff that they don't want to be there. They're there because they're, it, they're they're getting a little bit of pin money on the side, and it's a it's a top up from a full time job in the security industry elsewhere. So yeah, I think it will be really difficult for the club to implement that. It's a good insight. I didn't think of it like that actually, Mike. So a very good point you raised. And I'll stay with you, Mike, because you actually went to Burnley on Saturday. So thanks for that. You are a man on the ground. Were the fans in good voice? What was the sentiment towards Eric Dyer after his events on Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, the fans were in somewhat good voice. A lot of um, sort of support for Eric Dyer, mainly, obviously, from what happened at the uh, against Norwich. But uh, the Burnley fans were singing, Eric Dyer, your brother's a twat. So I think that as soon as they started with that chant, we sort of drowned them out. I don't really know what it sounded like on the telly, but they they gave it some uh, some 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 stick about that, and then the sort of Tottenham fans in perfect chorus just sort of drowned them out with uh, our own version. So yeah, it's good. And Carl, the league campaign also seems to be limping from one week to another, and it seems as if Ndombele has been thrown under the bus. So his fitness is doing him no favours. There's no doubt about that. But was the public outburst from Mourinho the right way to go about things? It's such a hard one, that isn't it, Dan? I think you know. Um, obviously, this was the side of Mourinho that a lot of people said is is what's kind of losing him that special tag because he, he used to be great at man management, whereas he seems to have lost it. Um, and obviously, you know, you've had a lot of ex pros come out and say they don't agree with it, they wouldn't like it, it should be kept in house. But I guess the problem is none of us really know what's gone on with him, do we, so far in-house already. They may have been lots of chats going on with him behind the scenes, trying to get him to buck himself up and kind of improve um, and stuff like that. So maybe if that's happened, Mourinho may feel, well, I've tried to do this behind closed doors and it doesn't seem to have any effect. So I'm going to go out and say it in public and see if I suddenly throw you under the bus or kind of humiliate you a little bit, it might stick a rocket up your ass and get you moving and you might want to prove me wrong. Um, it, you, you don't think it's the right thing to do potentially because you do feel it. all it can do is turn a player against you and then once that happens, can you ever get the best out of him again? I guess we'll just have to see, won't we? He's a mystery at the moment, the guy, isn't he? I don't think we'll see the best of him until next season. And we just have to hope that maybe a summer and a pre-season again can kind of sort him out. But I think, you know, we've got either got a very expensive flop on our hands or someone who will come good, but just needs, you know, needed a bit longer to adapt than maybe some others did. Well, I guess if you took Musa Sissoko as the blueprint, it took a lot of time for that to come good. And that was half the price now. Even at 30 million, people were bemoaning Sissoko and thinking, why have we bought a Newcastle cast off and all this? And eventually, we got a player. Now, whether people are prepared to wait as long, I don't think they will be, especially when you consider he costs 65 million. So it's not a case of, you know, some people saying, would you sell Don Bele this summer? And I don't think it's quite that stage yet. Obviously, I think it'd be too much of a reactionary move, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater and all that. However, next season, if we're not seeing anything more, you'd have to sort of think, would we even get 65 million for Ndombele? That's the danger, isn't it, Dexter? Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a good example to um, mention Sissoko because he took dogs abuse for quite some time. I'm surprised he actually still stayed at the club, and, but he eventually did come good because he we changed his position. Um, I think with Mourinho, he's not he's not he's done it before uh, with with sort of calling players out. I remember 
reading um, a part of um, Ozil's book when he's at Real Madrid and um, Ozil's having a poor game and Reno tore him to pieces in the dressing room and said that um, you'll never be as great a player as Zidane, which is um, Ozil's idol. And he, it made him think, and it made him think, well, you know, you know, I've got to change my ways because, you know, he, I want to be that kind of player. So, and it made him look at himself and, you know, he, he kind of kicked on. Um, I think Mourinho likes players with strong mentality. He likes to see their reaction uh, and see if they will kind of fit in his uh, in his team. Um, and he's, you know, most of his teams, most of his players do have a, a very strong mentality. And um, he's, he's testing um, Endon Bele. He's seeing what, he, he's, he's, what his reaction is going to be. I would give Endo Belly more time because obviously I think he does need time to adjust. Uh, I think Pochettino did say that he needs about two years when he bought him. So, yeah, he does need more time, I think. I think it's just down to fitness, but hopefully we'll see the best of him next season. And, Mike, the final question of the evening for you. When we go to Turf Walk, we have two shots on target. I think that pretty much sums up the attacking picture for us as, as, as a club at the moment. So... With Burnley being an informed team, I think the second best in the league at the moment, can that be viewed as a decent point, or does that just magnify the issue where we're happy with a point away at Burnley? Yeah, like I, I was speaking to the, a friend of mine who who, who was we drove there to and from the game with, and um, we, we sat in silence for about 45 minutes, um, obviously listening to a podcast or music, and then I just paused it and looked at him and said, I don't feel upset, I don't feel annoyed, I don't feel like... I don't feel like we've lost. I don't feel like, and I meant that in the sense of winning or losing, you know, I felt like we won a point away at Burnley. And yeah, like you said, that, that sort of magnifies the, the level um, we're at. You know, I was, I was there in Amsterdam last year when we turned it around against Ajax and I, and I found myself thinking we're going to go on to, to bigger and better things. And this is the start of something massive. And uh, fast, fast forward 10 months and I'm sat in a motorway services in Burnley. <laughs> Bleak. Yeah. Up, what an image. Right, OK, let's try and wrap it up on a happy note because it's Leipzig prediction time. Can we get anything from this? Cole, I'll start with you. What's going to be the score in the former East Germany? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you you wanted to win this on a high. Well, yeah, well, I think I'm going down a dead end, really. I've got nowhere to go, so help me out. I, I, I think you are, mate. Um, do you know what? I think we might get a 1-1 draw, but I don't think it will see us through in the end. I think we'll, you know, I'll go for a 1-1, but we'll just go out on that away goal. OK, Cole, heartbreak for you then. And Dexter, what about yourself, mate? Um, well, I know, I know we're probably not going to win the game. Um, the way it fits at the moment but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to say we're going to win 2-1 I'm going to be optimistic Blimey he's gone for it and Mike what about yourself? Uh, Mourinho's Monster Men 3 Red Bull 2 oh. <laughs> Right okay and in that case I'll go for uh, I'll go a 1-0 win and then we sneak it on penalties and then we get through to the last eight of the Champions League so there's your good note to end it on Right a bit of admin before we do send off for the night need to thank my guests Mike a sterling debut thank you ever so much hope you enjoyed it and would you like to come and join us once again yes mate I'll, I'll come back anytime as long as the beers are on you uh, ok we'll, we'll sort that out next time we meet at the football Dexter sterling performance from you also an open invite oh anytime mate I'd love to come on the show anytime you want me on mate fantastic buddy thanks very much and Cole I'm stuck with you next week I hope yeah you are Dan I'm afraid I'll, I'll be back Lovely stuff. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy, and as always, 
Come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.